attention to all hands. Hello, you're listening to the podcast, so there I was, which is how all great aviation stories begin, and this is episode number 39, a continuance with, who is it, Repeat? I think it was, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, Nasty, that's Nasty, it. that's right. Yeah. What a great time it was to sit with this gentleman and learn about his amazing career. This is a guy who did not just talk the talk and spew a bunch of theory about how to be a good leader and here's what I did and you should follow in my footsteps. He was from the ground up, he learned to be a follower and he talks about his failures and his near misses and how he learned from those. So this is a guy who walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk, he's walked the walk. And he's the real deal, man. He is. I like to say it this way. He oozes leadership. When you talk to him, you know that this man is a confident, this isn't the right word, a natural born leader. Because as he says in his book, leaders are made. They aren't born. Some It comes to eat some more easily than others, I think. Hey, I have to ask you a question. This is totally unscripted. So, um, you know, you, you said before, uh, when we were listening to him, it's obvious. I mean, it's just, it, leadership oozes, you know, from, from his pores, right. When he's talking right. to you, how many times did you catch yourself while we're, while he's talking directly to us, sitting up, sitting up straight. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It, the best part of this though, his book is coming out, learn how to lead to win. And it is 33 stories from his 36 years in the Navy. Easy read, fast read, because you just don't want to put it down. No, it's super engaging. It was fun. And I truly wish that I had read this when I was 19 years old and as an officer candidate. Yeah. Oh, what a great introduction to here's how you engage people and get them to want to perform for you, but not just for you, for the whole team to make everybody better. And that's his very prophetic overriding theme in this is that he didn't become an admiral or a captain of a large deck carrier by going, I'm the guy in charge, do what I say, make it all look good. He did it by becoming a servant. He viewed his leadership as a position of sacrifice and service, not as a position of authority. Oh, that's spot on. You know, he, uh, he simply said, uh, you take care of your people and they take care of the mission. Absolutely truth. And he talks about in the book the ways that he did take care of his people and he tried to go out of his way. Uh, as he said, he went overboard, poor choice of words, to uh, <laughs> take care of to take care of the people who performed well and call them out and, and hold them up as examples for other members of the ship's crew to go, look, this person went above and beyond. And people then went, oh, I'd like that recognition too. And they went above and beyond. Hey, we're just sitting here flapping our gums. The fact is, this is an amazing book. Learn How to Lead to Win by Admiral Mike Menazer. Nasty. What a fun book. Easy. Great. Couldn't put it down. Those would be my bullet points for the review. So without further ado, don't sit on the ejection handle. Don't do it. Here's Nasty. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. 
Milonga. There I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was. Which, as you know, is how all great aviation stories start. Welcome back, Nasty. Well, so I, I was writing real fast earlier, okay. and uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't read my damn writing. Okay. <laughs> well, let me, let, me th- let me throw in with this, because you talk about in Chapter 7, you said, begin with a clear vision and failure fuels success. And then you go on and, and talk about, and I was going to say, because I'm smart, I said, well, you know, you, you should use not the word failure, but the word setback. <laughs> and then later in the chapter, you write, quote, when setbacks occur, look for providence and expect <laughs> it to show up. Like, See how smart I am? <laughs> I'm psychotic. I knew what you were going to say, but it's so true. I mean, we've all had setbacks in our lives. My own personal story is such that when I thought the, the world was just as black and dark as could be. And, and I'd been kicked in the teeth hard by life because that's going to happen. You know, enjoy the happy times when you can, because they aren't guaranteed that the kicks in the teeth are guaranteed. And when I look back 20 years hence, oh, wow. Okay. All these good things happened in my life that could not possibly have occurred had all these dark things not occurred. So how do you tell somebody to expect providence Look, look for providence and expect it. And and you, I know you've got a story or two there that uh, uh, where, where setbacks have occurred in your life, and then you go, wow, okay, there I am. How do you – I guess that story is how you do it, but I, I don't know. That's kind of an open-ended, tough question, and, and my apologies up front. First of all, I, I, I won't – I've never had anything as um, dark happen to me as your experience, Pete, and, and never. All my setbacks – the ones I write about in the book have all been professional sure. setbacks. And, you know, Kelly and I have managed life. So our personal things that happen, those are just part of life. And you just deal with them as you go. What I detail in the book, starting from almost the beginning, so start with the vision. So one of the seven habits of highly effective people is start with the end in mind. It's it's in, in Covey's book. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And I didn't read any books then. I just said, I want to go do that. Um, you know, I'm going to go to the Naval Academy when I was in eighth grade. That's in like chapter one. And when I go to the Naval Academy, I'm going to fly Navy fighters. And no, I'm actually going to fly Tomcats. I stick a sticker of a Tomcat on my helmet before I even flew an airplane in VT-6. Primary, I'm going to fly that right there. That's pretty cocky. Yeah, Get man. <laughs> and earn the number one spot. I did that. And I did what it took to do that. And I kept the trials and tribulations and curves of life and the ups and downs and the knockbacks and the going, that's what I got to do. I got to fly fighters at Miramar. I got to command an F-14 squadron and then I didn't want to go nuke, not at all. And, and a couple of mentors shoved me through that door, ended up going nuke, you know, and then you go, look at all that stuff you did. Well, I'll tell you what. So I walk into, you know, Pensacola and the very first thing that happens to me is I go to NAMI and they fail my right eye. I'm like, no, 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 no. You go, I describe in the book how I'm like devastated. There's a couple of points in the book where I talk about being devastated and fall down. I've got, my dream is being stopped. And so I go and the eye doc says, well, go do the rest of your stuff. Come back. Of course, I failed blood pressure too, because right after that, my blood pressure. Through the room. Well, geez, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so I come back around, you know, later that afternoon and, and I don't know if, 
you know, he put a thumb on the scale or God said, you're going to see better. But I passed that afternoon, the, the same eye exam I took in the morning. <laughs> so I go, okay, good. Now I'm in, um, you know, I get into flight school. I do great. I go there. I go down into A4s. I fail CQ the first time. Tell the story there, you know, in A4s. And they actually told me, the LSOs, after I, you know, got to the cat for the last time, said, you're a qual on the radio. You're a qual. Yeah, that's, that's crazy right there. That uh, part of the story really baffled me. I still know who those two gentlemen are, and I still hold them in a different place in my mind <laughs> for, for doing that to me. And, and I, but again, I, you know, there's I got, a special place in the build for those gents, huh? <laughs> that's right. And so I got back and, and the Lieutenant said, you're a disqual. And I go, holy crap. Well, if I didn't disqual, I wouldn't meet bug. Right. And I was thinking I was going to bring that up. That's it. And so there's probably, I didn't get to meet bug. I would not have got to meet bug. And then fast forward uh, a long time after that, um, I didn't I didn't select for a carrier until the last look, and just about killed myself on a motorcycle, and and yeah. uh, or at least tried to. And then Kelly and I are mad and pissed off, and I didn't want to go nuke anyway, and this isn't going to work. Well, a year later, I screened for Nimitz, and I gone the year that I was supposed to, or the one I was worried about. It would have been all shipyard ships. I would not have gone to Nimitz. I wouldn't have got to command Nimitz. I wouldn't have got to do what we did and operate and all that kind of stuff. And so, and I spent a year yelling at myself. And that's like the worst ever. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what I did was, was um, I got to go to Nimitz and all those things happened just right. And what the real providential thing during that year before selecting was I got comfortable with not going to a carrier. And Kelly and I talked about what we could do that wasn't a carrier. What could we do to go fun? Got comfortable with leaving the Navy as a captain. And I would pull people in when I, when I did end up succeeding, then I made Admiral out of Nimitz and I went to the Pentagon. When people would fail selection, um, I would pull them in and say, let me tell you my story. And I would tell them about not selecting. I would tell them about getting comfortable and to a person. They got themselves comfortable with not selecting. And although some did select, some didn't select on the last look. And I said, how are you doing? They go, sir, I'm good. Me and my wife talked about this. We got prepared for this thing. They're off. We're, we've got great plans and they're off doing that kind of stuff. And so it caused me, and in our military life, we're on the path. We're always on the support path. And I would dare say in business, people have a path to a CEO or, a, or, or a, some position in the company. And I guarantee you, unless you're some freaking superhuman, it ain't going to go the way you think it's going to go. Uh, and there's going to be setbacks. You keep the, you know, like, this is what I'm going to, this is what I envision in my mind I'm going to go do. If you keep that first, and then you also realize that when I try to tell people, there, there's no way I'm going to tell people, hey, be comfortable with a setback. Providence is going to come around and help you. But just the possibility that things are going to work out okay and that things are going to work out to the point where they might not have worked out if, if it had gone the other way. That became apparent to me where I am totally convinced now in my life um, that Providence has a hand in my life. We live in our forever home in this house because of the way I get out of the Navy. And there are people Go, oh, you shouldn't have got out of the Navy that way. That's unfair. You should be, you know, fill in the blank. And I said, dude, look what's happened right. life is right. absolutely unbelievable it worked out the, the way it was supposed to and i think when you start with the end in mind and you you um 
You know, there's a great book uh, written back in 1930s called Thank. Oh, no, sorry. Think and Grow Rich. Yep. And, yeah. and there's a um, I need to re re revise myself in the reading of that book. But but it's written about the, the tycoons back in the day and that built America. And it's been revised yeah. uh, a, a couple of times. But it's it, think and grow rich. So if you think about where you're going, you're going to go that way. If you think positively, you're going to succeed. If you think negatively, you're not. Um, and, and so I just, for some reason, I had a vision in my brain about what I wanted to do and it's held for 40 some years and here I am. And, and I just try to detail that in the book. Um, I've got to do some wonderfully great things, but I will tell you that every single piece of that is God given providence, fate meant to happen. But, but I also thought positively about I wanted to, what I wanted to go do. And you think positively you're going to succeed in what you're trying to do. You, I, you I, uh, perfectly answered the question that I didn't. I inartfully asked, which is, what would Admiral Manazer tell Commander Manazer? You know, as you're you're stepping through that door to go nukes, and you're going to have some setbacks, and you just answered it. So that's that's I, perfect. You know, what's funny is uh, I was very famous in my reluctance to go nuke power, and it was it was said that Admiral Nathan pulled off my arms and beat me on the head with him to go through nuke power. <laughs> I like that. A very very, very reluctant guy who then became like a disciple. And so uh, seriously, when I was in uh, uh, N-98 as the Admiral in N-98, Naval Reactor sent every prospective nuke going into the program to me to have lunch with them and describe my story to them. Um, and I talked to a whole bunch of shippers who were, you know, kind of looking at nuke. And I told them my story about not wanting to go um, not a hundred percent went, there's a couple of guys that just still said no. And I'm really sorry that they did, but they made the decision themselves with eyes wide open. So uh, I, I would tell that story all the time because again, Nimitz best job in a galaxy ever. And I, I talk book from the perspective of mentors and sometimes a mentor has to actually kick the person, the mentee through the door. No, yeah. you go that door. This is what's right for you. Go shut up and color. Go. <laughs> Hey, like, how we doing on time? Um, we doing yeah, on time because so, I yeah, got. I, how you doing on time, Nasty? I, I got all night. We're at an hour twenty three recording right now. Okay, so. are you are you okay, Nasty? Yeah, I'm sure. I, I have a very I have a very uh, prophetic question to ask. But before I tell you this, ask you this question, I have a story to tell because you you triggered a memory when you were talking about the NAMI, uh, uh, you know, the, with the eye thing. And I, I read that the book and I thought about this story and you just reminded me. So the NAMI whammy, you know, that's what we all called it, right? We all had to go through NAMI one last time before we went up to Milton and flew T-34s. So this story is about a buddy of mine from the basic school. And we were, we became fast friends when we, when we met and we, we ended up, um, uh, both uh, flying Harriers, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you his call sign. I'm gonna leave the name out, uh, but you're gonna know who it is, uh, JJ. It's uh, I mean, uh, repeat his call sign's JJ. Oh yeah. So this this guy was from Iowa. He was a wrestler. He was an engineer. He was really really smart uh, in the in the book sense, but sometimes his common sense wasn't all all that great. He was all horsepower, no vector kind of guy. And uh, but but I love I love no cow. Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, so he he uh, grew up on a farm. Had he had bad? He was worried about the hearing test at NAMI, and and he said, I, you know, I, I did a bunch of shooting out of my my ear. You know, I've been around tractors. And I worry about my hearing. You know, so I knew this going into this. So I am sitting in the hearing booth with my buddy JJ, and it's all competition. You know, it's all competition yeah. between Marines. Well, everybody really. And so we're sitting in there and, you know, you hear the whistle, you hear the beeps and you're supposed to press the button. Yeah. So I'm whistling. So I hear the beeps and then I go and I see him press the button and I hear him and I go and I see him pressing the button. And when, when the whole thing was done, they opened the, they opened the little door to the sound room and they said, you, to me, he go, you're good. You, you can go, you, you failed. You got to do it again. And I looked at, I looked at JJ and go, boy, that sucks, bro. (laughs) And I could see the sweat coming off of him. And so I waited, I waited. And then he came out and he passed the second time because nobody was in there whistling. Right. And I, and so it wasn't until several hours later after a cold cerveza or two that I said, Hey, when you were doing the sound test, did it sound like this? And he goes, you son of a bitch. And then he tried to kill me, of course, but I was fast. Yeah. Surprised he didn't kill you right there. Right. Figure officially a male member. I know. (laughs) Okay. And so I feel pretty good about telling that story now because he can't hurt me. Uh, Maybe he can. You never know. Oh, that's true. He's waiting for me. Yeah, yeah, he's probably going to come haunt me tonight. No, JJ, uh, JJ was one of our brethren that, uh, that, he gave it all. He gave it yeah. all flying the hair. Okay. So, uh, here's, here's my question for you. Um, nasty. Um, so did you, when you wrote this book, uh, did you have a, did you have a goal? Did you get what you wanted out of it? Are you going to, or what do you want to get out of it? Or did you get what you wanted out of it by writing the book? How's that? Um, what do you want? I guess I should, let me start over. What do you want out of this? What, what do you want out of this book? Or did uh, you get it by writing it? Uh, no, I didn't get it by writing it. Um, that, that's part of the journey here. I'm going to tell you a story that was told to me by, by a person who's become a friend that was, that is already an author. He's an executive coach. His name's Dan Fox. And he's got, it's two X's on the end of his name. And he said, he wrote, he wrote a couple of books and he said, I want somebody 50 years after I've died to see a little 50 cent copy of this dog eared version of my book at a garage sale, pick it up and get something out of the book. Yeah. Great description of, of what I want. So, um, it's, it's such a complex answer to your question. First of all, I'm shocked, amazed. And, um, so when re when repeat says everybody ought to read this book's finest leadership book I've ever seen. I, I, wow. I mean, just, just unexpected. Like it connects on such a personal level. And I guarantee if you're 19 or 20 and you're reading this book, it will connect on a personal level. You don't have to be somebody who's who's done a career in the military and in corporate no. America. And that, that's part of the journey, you know? So the, you know, why did I write the books? Like we talked about, I wanted to pay it forward. And just the phenomenon to me was I had a story for every question and Ben Carroll, again, Providence, you know, just happened to be connected to him. And he said, you ought to write a book and he helped me. And here we are. So 
that's the catalyst for the book. The reason for it is to pay it forward and to describe what I learned through 36 years in the Navy and, and, and these stories, which are, you know, pretty fun to tell. Um, and then connecting to them and then to, and then to hold the book in my hand and realize it's a thing and to go and, and to just consider the achievement of actually writing a 300 page book and, and that, okay, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I held the, you know, I got the, I got, I got the proof copy of the, of the paperback, right? I mean, holy shit, there it is. The first one. And I'm like, what? holy crap. I mean, it's like, okay. It's like my baby. Right. So, so uh, by the way, that, we both need signed copies. Just saying hundred percent, uh, hard, hardcover signed copies. Um, Absolutely. the, and then, and then th- there are, you know, Pete's comment and then, um, you know, Kelly, when I went, I went on travel last week and Kelly wrote me this quick text about a sweet book and she, she grabbed this paperback off the desk and she, you know, she was down here doing chores in the basement, putting stuff away. And she said, I just wanted to see what you wrote about me. And two and a half hours later, and she never reads during the day because it puts her to sleep. She said, this is a sweet book. I love this book. I can't put it down. I mean, that's my wife. So yeah, people are making comments about how they can't put the book down. And, and you, you know, that chapter you wrote about the, the twin triggers, one's a blessing and one's a curse. And that's me. How did you know that was me? And there were two people that said that. Yeah, the feedback that the book is touching people is just makes me awestruck. And I I just want, I I want, like I said, there is a dearth of human centered leadership in the world, in business and and more, the harder things get. I mean, the, you know, when, when people used to shake hands and that was their bond and trust and, you know, safety and all those kind of things, I don't know, we come too process oriented or something, but I just found that I was successful in the Navy and I just want to pass it on to people. So I want to continue to do that and be able to go out and people will go, Oh my gosh, you, you touched me with that story or that chapter, the one that they're written. And they're telling stories about the book that, that causes them to tell stories like you two guys are. It's just yeah. perfect. Well, here's the thing is it's, it would be self-serving for, uh, for nasty to go to his friends at the Pentagon and go, Hey, you guys need to make this mandatory. But I guarantee once, once people start reading it, they're going to go, Oh, you need to read this. I guarantee it. Yeah. It's I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, when I say I, I, when I read your book, I, it hit me personally on so many different levels because of personal experiences that I had. As yeah. a leader, as a member of the military, as a, you know, as a, uh, a, a tactical jet guy and, and, um, you know, and now I'm a civilian. So is my, well, I guess we are, we're all civilians now, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, and, and I still use the leadership skills that I developed over my years in the military in my civilian job. And it's, and it serves me well, uh, Absolutely. more. And and I mentor young and new uh, people in my uh, company that have no leadership experience uh, because they're not going to get it anywhere else. Yeah, it, absolutely. Well, that triggers both a, a memory slash story and then and an idea fig. I think I've got an idea, idea. for another podcast that um, if Kelly Menazer would be so gracious, oh, I think hey. no. Oh, oh. No, <laughs> nasty's like yeah. I no, think, that ain't I happening. I think I'm telling you, 
she, as a as a CO's wife of a of a carrier of a squadron as a junior lieutenant's wife this woman has a lot of information to pass along because I know for a fact that we've got women who listen to this podcast who are oh, yeah, you know oh these are cool stories and all that yeah. But I'm telling you, this woman has a lot to pass on to go, you know what? This is not going to be easy. And there's going to be times when your husband's more married to the military than he is to you. And here's how you deal with it. Um, so if you would be kind enough to ask her, if she says no, we get it. Hey, it doesn't have to be military. And My husband's can. married to the corporation. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Or married, it, married to... Um, we hear so many stories and this is so true that, that, you know, one of the spouses um, subjugates or whatever that word subordinates their career to the other one that yeah. says that put my dreams aside. And, and I, I tried to, I didn't do this justice in the, in the, in the chapter about balance, but Kelly, whatever dreams she had when she got married to me, she put those aside. And I mean, the, the husband, the type of husband I was at the time, I'm like, we're going this way. And, so I do counsel in that chapter to people when they're growing up together, share those dreams and figure out a way to, you know, or, or at least, you know, bring them out front. Yeah. Make sure they're copacetic. Make, make sure that they're, you know, they're talked about and stuff. I didn't, didn't do that well. Um, you know, we, we succeeded here, but there are. Um, in spite yeah, of your think, best efforts. Is that what you're hey, saying? You know, what, what were you? 20, uh, 22, 23, 20, 22. Yeah. We got so you know I I look back at my twenty one twenty two year old self and um, uh, I I don't have the knowledge and wisdom I do now. So we no, we don't we, you know the point the point I tried to make in the and I've moved plug the phone in because you guys are like draining my power but um, the it's repeat he sucks the energy out of everybody. The point I make in the book is when you're you know <laughs> when you're starting out in life you you. There's a lot of decisions that are made. And when you're together with somebody else and it's going to be long-term, I mean, you, you got to, somebody's either given a lot. And, and I think that, that the spouses, and there are so many, 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 many examples of, of, of spouses of military members who have just put all of their dreams aside and they either come back to them later or they change them or whatever it is, but they're, they're going on the, on the backs of the, of the military member. And, and certainly for me, we were going that direction. That's what we were doing. And we're going that way. We're going to go fly fighters and you're going with me. And she, you know, she just ponied right up. The thing, the thing that I'm most proud of is her, like I said, you know, her experience in, in my first squadron was not good. So she championed the junior enlisted and junior officers. And she, we had, a, um, I don't write about this in the book, but when I was CEO in Nimitz in 2008, early 2008, on comp two X, we lost an HS six helicopter. All five people died and Kelly was ashore and she realized that the Commodore, nobody ashore was taking leadership and, and talking to the family. So she took that role. Wow. And she's still the things that she had to do to bull people into taking care of the families for their you know, five deceased service members and to organize stuff around it and to do all those kind of things. You know, I, I would tell you her, her finest hour was as that commanding officer's wife on the carrier, also her hardest. And she shouldn't have been the one to step in and she did. So, um, you know, she is that national asset that, that I talk about, you know, and, and she just knew when to do that. And so many of our, 
spouses out there and, and whether they're, you know, spouses of business or spouses of military, the strongest ones know when to step in and take charge and make sure things are right. You know, what's and, the saying? Something about uh, vac- uh, uh, leadership, leadership fills a vacuum or yep. something along. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, there was a vacuum there and then a natural leader steps up and goes, all right, we're time to play ball. God yeah, you, that is awesome. You just made me think of, th- think of something really interesting. We talked about national assets and a couple and stuff. I, I it just dawned on me that that you know this happened in 2008. Been in the Navy since 1981. Been married since 1982. Been together that whole time operating, and she knew what to do. The leadership ethic that had been born in the, in Mike and Kelly Manazer was double edged, you know, so Kelly had it and I had it and, and it was a partnership in command. And she had, she had commanded at the, at the, at the commanding officer level. So, you know, commanding officer wife, and then, and then on board Sacramento, commanding officer wife, executive officer, Carl Vinson, XO wife and leadership level. So when Nimitz came around, she had honed her leadership style in order to be collaborative with, you know, the things that weren't military necessarily, if you see what yeah. I mean. Yeah. 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 Totally. My, my first wife was terrified when my mother told her, you know, if the commanding officer invites you to a party, you will go, it's mandatory and you'll wear white gloves and you'll, you know, all this. I go, oh my God, she'd never been around the military in her life. What, what you haven't said there, but I think, is important is Kelly didn't do this out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of gratitude, these people were her friends, right? The, 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 the opso's wife was her friend. The exo's wife was her friend. The, the, this was a group of friends and it, it natural leadership falls, not always to the CEO's wife. The CEO's wife isn't always the best leader. It sounds like she stepped up and was amazing. Uh, but but this was out of a sense of gratitude to the friends. Hey, I'm going to do this because you people are my friends and I'm going to organize this and make this happen. Yeah, I think you got it exactly right. Again, back to human connection. It's not about the position. It's not about where in the position. It's not about being in the position. It's about friendship and connection and, um, and, and uh, uh, empathy, um, caring, that's where true leadership comes from. All of that. I mean, you, you listen, listen to, and you, you guys, the Marines are in, in it a lot more than, you know, sailors are and certainly more than I would, but you know, you listen to those guys who are awarded for bravery and they said, I did it for the guy to my left and the guy to my right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. They were, they, all of a sudden, uh, you know, it, it boiled down to your buddy. Yeah. There's yeah. a real power. Right on. Okay, I've got a, I've got a maybe a little off, off color, uh, question. And if you don't want to let me it, take us off uh, here. <laughs> you don't have to. You can say I'll, uh, I, uh, I'll plead the fifth. But um, uh, this is uh, from your book. But I'm, I'm asking for a not book answer. He's asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine said said one time that uh, Congresswoman or Senator Pat Schroeder uh, had a request. Congressman had a request in for some certain kind of military flyby. And, uh, you know, that, that didn't, that didn't work out as we know, as it's written in the book, but how'd that feel? (laughs) (laughs) 
It's okay. Well, you don't have to. I know. I already know the answer. It's okay. <laughs> I, like winning, I like winning on principle and, <laughs> and principle of the request. And it, there was a little bit of a sweet edge to it, as you know. Sure. And yes. But, um, and, um, what was your rank it, at the time there, Nasty? Lieutenant Commander. Lieutenant Commander? Hey, yeah. The way it was articulated in, in the book was just like you said it. It was so you know, by the book and, yep. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't political. It wasn't personal. This is just business, ma'am. You know, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I, I will tell you, and, and the, the quick story for the people who haven't read the book yet, and I do encourage you to read the book, please. But, um, was that when I was approving all sorts of military activities and supportive community relations events, I got a you were assigned to the Pentagon at the time. You were assigned to the Pentagon, uh, naval, uh, all, all, uh, was it all military aviation or just naval aviation? No, all military aviation. I was a, it was a joint job. You know, I got my merit badge by, by approving air shows. It's pretty, <laughs> um, <laughs> merit uh, badge. I'll do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's epic. And, uh, worked for the spokesperson, um, the ASD for public affairs and, and I approved all the schedules, the jet team schedules, the Golden Knights schedules, and and any kind of flyover, static display, air show, you know. So we're talking Blue Angels, Thunderbirds, and yep. Golden Knights. Blue Angels, Thunderbirds, Golden Knights, and then any any gray airplane that did anything at an air show. Yeah, I think when we would go out to Plattsburgh to do a demo, yeah. right? That's, right. That, that, that was going to go through his office, right? Come through my office, kind of request. Yeah. Yep, and and that was um, that was that was pretty fun, and and so in comes this request standard you know here comes the form you know and it's to fly over the dedication of this elementary school in broomfield colorado in 1994 and i'm like elementary school and the thing that i had to look for in any of this stuff was it is it aviation related or is it support of one of the five holidays like you know july 4th memorial day like so policy and it was just a dedication of an elementary school in broomfield colorado and the, the complicating factor was there was an air force base that was like right there and so, I mean, they were under jet noise anyway. And so the organizers were like, well, we just want a jet to fly over our school at the same time, like to honor the thing. And so I'm like, uh, cool, but no. And then um, there's, there's kind of a funny story I don't even refer to in the book. But but anyway, um, my my GS7 secretary gets a phone call and she puts her hand over the phone and said, it's a congressman, Congresswoman Schroeder for you. And I said, their office? No, Me. her. <laughs> Okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Daddy. You know, I'm a lieutenant commander of the Navy, never talked to a congressperson in my life, you know, and she's a very direct woman. And she said, uh, uh, Commander, I understand you, you disapproved to fly over for Broomfield, Colorado Elementary School. And, and it was pretty new to my desk. And I said, Yes, ma'am, I did. And she said, Can I ask why? And I said, Well, it, it's not in accordance with the da da da. I started to go. And she said, So it's a policy. And I said, Yes, ma'am, it's a policy. So I want to ask for an exception to policy can I do that? I said, yes, ma'am, you can. And I have to run it up to the ASD. And, and she said, I want to ask for an exception of policy. And I said, yes, ma yes ma'am. And so I put the, I, I put the policy together with, with the argument and this huge package that we were supposed to put together. That was like a cover sheet on top of a cover sheet on top of the argument on top of a cover sheet. And, and it was a very, very, very strong argument for denial. And, and I said, absolutely not. And I was fervent. And I took the thing up to the, the spokesperson. And I said, and he said, and, and you know, what's funny is being more senior in Washington, DC, I might've had a different perspective than a 
no kidding lieutenant commander fighter pilot who is just like look i'm gonna no you know no and um no so maybe i'd have been more political senior officer or well how does this play for the department or how does congresswoman how does the congresswoman's vote benefit and i didn't think of any of that so it's like no this does it in accordance with policy and so (laughs) and said uh i'm i'm not uh, i'm you're you're this is no sure we shouldn't because we set a precedent blah 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 blah. and he denied it and and so i was like okay that's pretty cool um what's really funny is in the middle of this whole process peter kors called me like you know peter kors kors beer yeah and he called and I literally didn't connect the name and I don't know who he is. And I go, why would you? I, I, I just didn't, it didn't connect with me that this is no, like, no. Right. I mean, I get it. You get a phone call. Hey, this is Peter Coors. Uh, uh, is this the guy? And you're like, yeah, I'm the guy. Hi. And, uh, <laughs> I, Esther, uh, Hey, Hey Peter, can I ask who you're representing? And he like knocked him off. He just, he didn't know what to say to me. He didn't, he didn't know how to Question is like, company, <laughs> oh, I am, you know, kind of thing. So, I, I, yeah, that one, it was kind of fun. But the story in the book is not that I overcame that; it's what I, I stuck to my guns. And there's another yeah. example about burning off the Blue Angels, and much like the LSO story, when I was lieutenant commander and sure of my authority, I stuck to my guns and I wasn't afraid of making the decision for ramifications. And I, I knew what the technical basis was, and I recommended what I thought was right. And, and had I thought about or not wanted to make a decision or was afraid I wasn't going to get promoted, I might not have done what I thought was right. Now, ultimately they can overturn what you say, but I did what I thought was right. And, and the example I try to use is even somebody as high as a Congresswoman, you know, saying, you know, I want an exception of policy. I still did what I thought was right. And it just so happens that the decision went my way. And I thought that was pretty cool. So. You know, you know, I uh, so so you you just kind of triggered a thought here. You, you said that you. this this elementary school was near an Air Force base where it was constant jet noise. Anyway, I, I'm thinking, hey, you're in the landing pattern. You ask for a you know a, a exit and reentry. If you happen to fly over the elementary school at a certain time, who who's to know? I mean, for crying out loud, what? Why did it have to be so hard? Okay. Separate, would, separate subject. Military life, if we just done something without asking permission, it's eh, got the effect, right? Okay. <laughs> right? Well, that's the Navy Marine Corps way. It's did you fly out of elementary school? Yes, sir, I did. I was in the pattern, and I was uh, going out for the break. And when I came back, uh, that's how it, the right. pattern worked out. That's right. Uh, uh, yeah. in, in fact, we had a section of Harriers fly over my first wife's funeral. So, you know. Uh-oh. Yeah. Weird. What is that? You know, if I, I don't happened, think I don't recall running that by the Pentagon. Must have been in the area. That's yeah. all I can figure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I had a really intelligent question to ask, and and I started talking <laughs> about that. No, no, it was had it. We were going down the. Uh, oh, I know what it was. So when you uh, graduated from the Naval Academy, and uh, you you went to flight school, um, did you? Well, I, I think there's a better way to ask this. Oh boy! No, no, I, no. This isn't. This isn't. Hor- this is not a, a, a okay. touchy feely question. I mean, it's not just something that a, a nasty's going to be embarrassed to answer, or I'm not asking yeah. him to. As far as as far as we know, <laughs> when you started uh, as an ensign, 
you never knew how it was going to end, right? I mean, you you didn't know if you were going to do lieutenant eight years, ten years. You you never knew how it was going to end. Yeah, right? you, you talk just, about seeing the future. Did you see two stars? Yeah. So to, to tell me, because I'm going to tell you from from my my personal, I didn't know how it was going to end. I I thought uh, I'd found uh, my forever home in the Marine Corps, and um, I didn't know where the end was. And then eventually, uh, it it ended be not not because of the Marine Corps, but because of the woman I was married to. <laughs> Obviously, I picked wrong. I didn't pick as I didn't pick as well as you did, Nasty. Uh, I won't, I won't judge. I, I wanted to go fly. Uh, I wanted to go fly. And I, I wanted to fly as an ensign, as a Lieutenant JG, as a Lieutenant, Lieutenant commander, commander, whatever. I, I just wanted to go do that. In fact, in fact, uh, you, you know, at the, I think the eight year point, they were offering the bonus to pilots at, at the time. It was like $36,000 total. And now it's, I don't know, something like a hundred or something, it's but dumb. I know. I just, I just took the bonus and went, well, I'm not going anywhere. Sure. I'll take that money. I'm not going anywhere. And I just went right through it. And yeah, no, I have never, uh, I just wanted to go do whatever the next thing was. And it became right. apparent. Okay. I'm going to go. I'd like to be a commanding officer of a fighter squadron so I can continue to fly. When, and, Hey, wait, when, when did you have that thought? I want to be a commanding officer of a fighter squadron. Were you an ensign? Were you a lieutenant? No, no, no. When I um when I got through my first squadron, got got the slot that to Top Gun started getting pretty good fit reps that fitness were reports. De- yeah, fitness reports, you know, annual performance reviews that were targeting like you you can be a commanding officer. Oh. I mean I can be a commanding officer and do this and lead people flying fighters. Oh, that's a cool idea. And then you know, leading and then in the department head and going, okay, so I need to be the best department head I can. And it just sort of coalesced right around the lieutenant commander time frame when I really, really thought that I enjoyed doing what I was doing. So, yeah. you know, being an LSO and being out there, going to the rag and being an instructor and, and leading people in a squadron and, and, you know, sort of coalesced there. All right. So now I'm going to be a, a fighter squadron CEO. Good. Um, a couple of times right around Lieutenant commander, I was like, you know what, is, is this it? Like, yeah, maybe I'll get out of the Navy. How are the airlines or, you know, I'm looking around and then they give me, I'd get re-energized again and come back in, um, not come back in, but stay, you know, and it's like, okay, kind of cool. And, and Kelly never, you know, I never had any kind of pressure to, you need to be home or anything like that, that, you know, so we're just kind of in, you know, and, and. I just kept, you know, there's another, you know, now I'm a skipper and then I go to the joint job because that's, you know, good for, you know, flag officer and, you know, stuff like, well, you know, and then, and then the nuke thing happened, which was, uh, you know, cataclysmic event. And then I ended up in, in, in okay, now we're going to go and go command a ship. Well, well, hell, I'm not going to new school without trying to command a carrier. And so then, you know, there I was and yeah. You know, hey, now that I'm here as a carrier, uh, pretty good chance going to be a flag officer. Okay, I'll go do that, and and I just kept going. And yeah, okay, you never knew. You never knew how it was going to end. No, and and in fact, you know, I was I was upwardly mobile when I got out of the navy, and I was you know, and so I, that whole thing happened, and and you know, and then here we are. So I I think it's it's you know that whole thing about you know start with the end in mind 
um, I knew I wanted to fly. I get get out of the Naval Academy by going to fly. That's what motivated me. But I never had like I'm going to go be a two star or I'm going to go and right. okay. And I I don't okay. think I actually I know I was trying to be a commanding officer, do the things right to be a commanding officer, do all the right jobs. But I don't I didn't like. Yeah, but you didn't hit that level. You didn't hit that level of thought until later, right? Until yeah. until you were a lieutenant commander type, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I do gonna, remember, I, I'll, I'll stay this. I, when I was at the change of command, I was an instructor at the RAG and uh, the, the best commanding officer I ever worked for was, uh, was that commanding officer. And he took command of the RAG and I remember asking him at the reception after the change of command, wow, you're it. This is, you're the guy. This is your squadron. You, you know. Did you ever see yourself? And, and his wife was standing right there next to him. Did you ever see yourself as the guy? He's like, yeah. And Patty's like, oh, yeah, we knew from. I'm like, wow, okay. I just said her name. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, and I don't say that in a disparaging way. They had that vision in mind from the beginning. And uh, he finished up, I think, at Pax River. Great guy. I, admire him as the day is long. True Marine, attack pilot. But gentle gentlemen you you'd never know if you met him out at the walmart you'd never go oh that guy's a killer attack pilot but i am um, here, here's here's the the thing that i you know i talk about it in emotional drivers in the very first chapter of the book and and i i never i've got a fairly significant imposter syndrome and i never pictured myself in like the role that I see, if I have a mentor or somebody that is like a role model, like, oh my God, look at that guy. And I had so many of those people um, and they were squadron commanding officers and CAGs, you know, like Tom Kilkline and, um, and, and Zap Zlatiper and Street Chanik and, and Rat Willard, who was in Top Gun. And these guys that I went, the, okay, the, wow. Okay, Great. I will be the guys but i never thought i could be those guys if that makes any sense it does yeah, you, totally. you talk about yeah. that in the book very well in fact uh, so that's a great chapter talking about you know it, it, the imposter as it were you know yeah, i don't belong right. in the room yeah I, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I i am an ant among among bulls in this room what are we kidding me and and yet you do belong there that's carried that has carried throughout my and i think it 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 started to go away at the end of my career and for the readers that go, well, duh, you're a two-star. No, seriously. I mean, I really had, you know, in the way that I was brought up or whatever it was, there's something in there that says, you don't, you know, you, you're not as good as those people are. And it wasn't a denigrating, you're not as good. It was more of a humbling, you're not as good. And I, I actually am so thankful for that because it keeps me humble. I never expect to be the two star or the, the okay. CEO, or, you know, I, I just guy. happy to the be guy. here. You're the yeah. guy. You're that guy. Yeah. And to be surprised You're the old salt. and delighted. Yeah. Old salt, like right here mm -hmm. sitting in. <laughs> I love that. It, in I love all that so, so let me hey. ask you. So there was a thrill the first time you went solo in a T 34. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the first time you were a solo in the, uh, in the captain's chair in the Nimitz? 
looking around. Did you look? Tell me. You can tell me. Well, it's got to be the Just same kind three. of shit. Only you looked out only left and looked to the right. And went, by a thousand. I'm the guy. Right? Well, Holy I, shit, I, I'm the guy. By the time, yeah. Yes, I'm the guy. This is my shit. You know, it's really funny. I tell you a couple of right. points. When I really actually realized it, um, Rick Wren was the CEO. Uh, Bruce Klingen was the first CEO of Vincent. I got a lot of training under him, but Rick really gave me the the Vincent when I was EXO. Okay. And when we, when 9-11 was happening, we were launching strikes. Yeah. He, he was like a 24-7 CEO, and it was obviously going to kill him. So I had the night page. And so I would sit in the chair and control flight operations at night as the XO, and he would go to bed so he can manage the daytime planning cycles that he was in. And that right there was like, okay, I'm the guy. Um, that was really empowering. The path that they put you on in the Navy nuclear power program, by the time you get to be the CEO of the carrier, you already know how to drop. You've been the guy. <laughs> I've been the guy. Um, okay. and, and then when I had the deep draft Sacramento, so the first time we, you know, we, we, you know, I come down with, with Traps Cloyd, who is the skipper before me, we turn over Sacramento, we get underway and we're coming off the roads of Coronado and we go on deployment with Carl Vinson. I'm her supply ship. We do a change of command and underway. now I am tied up 10 hours alongside Vinson transferring ammo and fuel, mostly ammo, 10 hours of ammo transfer. Oh man. I'm the guy. I now have my own ship. And it's like, wow. And, you know, uh, and it's like, okay, that's when it really hit home. Um, but I'll tell you that the, the, I got used to looking out the bridge of the carrier, put my feet up on the dash, you know, the, the, the plexiglass table there out over the bow, totally familiar sight. Then you go down on the pier and walk alongside that thousand foot ship. That thing's huge. Yeah. That's when it, yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. It didn't quite so fast at 600 or so big at 600 knots, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> when you're walking beside her, huh? Walking beside it, you know, so, so, Hey, uh, there's one other story here and there's a guy and he knows who he is and you know who he is. And, uh, I don't think anybody else does. And you wandered onto the bridge one night and he was doing his damnedest and he was probably running 16, 17 hour days maybe some shit going on at home. And, uh, I think it was three times you asked him, are you asleep? Yeah. And you, you the title of the chapter is what's the, or measure the cost or what's the cost. Um, what's the cost? Yeah. Uh, for the cost to him was a new pair of skivvies at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, talk, talk about that a little bit. And, and what's the decision? You could, you had a choice to hang him from the highest yard arm and had it been any, Buddy, beyond the two of you, I don't think you would have had as much of a choice as you did when it was between betwixt the two of you. Um, yeah. So, what, what a horrible feeling for him, and and what a horrible feeling for you. I think probably more for you. Well, I, no, it wasn't. I, I'll be really totally honest. It wasn't horrible for me, but I could feel the empathy and what was horrible to him. Imagine the commanding officer waking you up, and. And that's, I mean, I, I owned that feeling in my head. So for the readers, again, go read the book. It's a pretty cool story. And, and what's funny is- It's an is, awesome story. It's an outstanding story. Every one of these stories is outstanding. Yeah. Read the damn book. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Do it now. Go buy it now. <laughs> and write a review, please. On, you cheap uh, bastard. Buy it now. <laughs> 
it's yeah. a, it, listen, it's it's just a, it's available it's just an, on and it's an easy read. Right. The 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 way it's written, it hooks you. Every chapter hooks you. You you've read the chapter by the time you realize you've been hooked and read it. Yeah. And then you're Learn like, okay, how to lead to win. It's available on Amazon. And even if you're just trying to raise a second grader, truly. Okay. I'm sorry. We relinquished the floor. Back sorry, to sorry you. nasty. Seriously. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You wander up onto the bridge Please on continue. a dark and stormy night or a dark <laughs> night on the Nimitz. <laughs> and you guys are doing it for free. So that's good. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, dark and stormy night. And, and um, so, and what's funny is this little story stuck in my head. Um, as one to tell and, and amongst all the, you know, I got like 45 stories. We cut it out to 33. Oh gosh. This one stuck in my head to tell. And because of the, the lesson that I thought it could teach and, and born through my entire Navy career was this idea of, I'm going to do what I think is right. Me, my sense, I could be a Lieutenant and ensign, a Lieutenant commander, an Admiral, uh, strike commander, uh, mission commander in the airplane. I'm going to turn the airplane. I'm going to turn the ship out of the OTSR. He goes, I'm going to do what I think is right. Me, even though the rule book says you should do this. And maybe that's what caused me to write the story. I'm not exactly sure why this one stuck out, but, but anyway, um, so, so when you're the captain of a ship, you're always sleeping with one eye open anyway. And, and, I got taught by Admiral Black Nathman that, you know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, something probably woke you up, pull on your coveralls, go, go out to the bridge and just look at things. And, and so really? I did. Yeah. You, you got to sit you. There's a sixth sense. Get, get your ass out of bed and go look and, and go look. There's something okay. just, just go into it. You know, if there's nothing, then at least you would have walked out in the, in the middle of the night when nobody's around, like, like, like fig talking about, yeah going into seven o'clock or two in the morning or whatever it is. Go, holy go shit. The, holy shit. The old man's here. Right? Yeah. 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 And so the one thing I did on Nimitz a lot, and I started on Sacramento was when you walked onto the bridge as the captain, the bosun, the bosun mate would announce cabs on a bridge or the quartermaster would cabs on the bridge. If I saw a change in the team, I debriefed, uh, wait till the watch was over. And I debriefed and I said, you do not change your demeanor or your procedures or anything based on whether I'm on the bridge or not. You guys need to act like I'm on the bridge all the time. So I looked for that. And so, you know, I would have this thing about walking the bridge. Well, this particular, I mean, when, when you walk onto a darkened bridge in an aircraft carrier, there's a little short passageway that then opens to the broader bridge and it's very dark. And so at night, um, you know, if the, if the quartermaster sees you, he will say it, but the chances of him seeing you from there, especially when you don't just walk on and go, hey, Boats, how's the coffee? You know, and, and then they, you know, cabs on a bridge and everything kind of sparks up. I just kind of yeah. walked and I wanted I wanted to see what was going on. I had my hands in my pockets. I still remember I get my eyes accustomed to the blackness and it's looking outside. And it's really black outside, as it always was. I look out kind of I can see through the windows. I'm still standing back, you know, and I'm looking around and I'm kind of counting where everybody is. And there's the helm right next to me and the Lee helm. Nobody sees me there. And and there's the, you know, the conning officer, junior officer of the deck, and they're watching through the Polaris to see where we're going. The quartermaster's over under the red light. Coffee's brewing. It smells like coffee. I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful. Looking for the OD. And I realize as I look around, I turn to the left and behind my captain's chair is like a air conditioning unit against the bulkhead there. And, and there is a figure leaning against the air conditioner unit against the wall. So they're a little bit ahead of me to the left and like inches 
ahead of me and about, you know, a foot and a half to the left. And so I'm looking, oh, it's, and I recognize the shape of his face. I know the guy pretty well, working for a long time. And I go and stand next to him and I expect that he'll go, you know, kind of look over to see the presence and he doesn't. And so I'm like, OD, no response. OD, no response. Are you asleep? No response. Are you asleep? He wakes up. And even in the dark, I saw that guy turn about ghost white. <laughs> he, <laughs> He's glowing white. <laughs> and like, you know, cat, 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 you know, and then sorry, he realized that I caught him asleep, and which is, as we relate in the book, is a UCMJ offense, a sleep on watch, you know, yeah. and the old possible safety of the ship, you know. So anyway, nobody but us two standing there. And for some reason, well, for, I mean, because I am who I am and what I believe in, I, and I just lectured him, you know, and I said, you know, you, you, you know what you did. I forget what I said, but, but he, he was suitably chased. And I think that he didn't sleep for probably another two weeks, you know, it just didn't. <laughs> the adrenaline, the piss shot to the heart alone. <laughs> piss shot to, woke him up for probably a month. And, uh, he's a very, he is a very good officer. He was an engineer officer and he did a very good job. And like I relate in the book, 14, 16 hour days and standing watch. You know, so there was a little bit of empathy and understanding. I certainly knew how he felt and my his professional life. And we had just, we had just frocked him to commander. And if, and if, uh, you know, it becomes permanent after a while, if nothing happens and, and I could take that away and then also bust him, you know, take him to cast mess and basically go from commander to lieutenant. And, and I didn't. And um, I said, look, you know, between you and me, this can't happen again. You know, you're one of those professional ODs I have. And if the team knows you're over here sleeping, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yes, you're, yes, you're, yes, you're, yes, you're. So, so he continued. And at my change of command, he wrote me a special note that just thanked me for not destroying his career and his life and the whole thing. And it just, I just, for some reason yeah. felt thing to do. So good for him. And good I did. For you. I, outstanding. That's the type of leader, right? I mean, that, that like I said, you lose leadership. Yeah. And well, if is, so if somebody, so for instance, if I'd have walked over and, and, uh, if you'd have made it public though, your hands would have been more tied, right? Hands tied. Or if somebody told me and yeah, said, Hey, yeah, Adam, I got to tell you, I found the officer of the deck asleep on watch. I have to do something now. The, yeah. the, the order and discipline of the unit requires me to do something. And so I would have had to, you know, and, and that came up many, 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 many times in my commanding officer tours is what to do for good order and discipline. And, yeah. um, this particular one was, uh, my choice. And, and what, I chose. where is he now? Is, is he got stars? Did he get out? Do you know? I think he, he, I think he probably ended up getting out of the Navy. He was on a, uh, on kind of a career path that probably didn't, you know, the things that he had done, uh, probably didn't get him command and, and therefore anything after command, just, just, just the way that it worked out for him. So, yeah. um, no, I didn't, I didn't create an admiral. Um, there are a couple of people though, that, um, have reminded me, um, that, that I took them to captain's mass, gave them a chance and they became chiefs and then commissioned officers and had just retired after 20 some years. And, and something I did, you know, that went their way during mass to allow them to go and succeed in the Navy. So, yeah. um, or Larry, the cable guy. Right? Uh, yeah. That cable guy. Yep. 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 Yeah. That's right. a great story I, in the book, right? He, he met Larry, the cable guy, so to speak. Yeah. His, and, his, and then he uh, kicked your ass on your first engagement. 
He did. He did. And here, I'm going to tell you guys a special thing on our podcast. If your listeners go to the website, I think today, but it's like today or like tomorrow, and they get on the website and they, and they in the contact page, they request the free audio story. It is me reading the story about the cable guy. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's awesome. Chapter 18. So we do have an audio book coming out. It's just taking a little while to edit it, you know, because I made so many mistakes when I was reading it. But chapter <laughs> is is a link that can be sent to anybody that requests it. And it it is it is the chapter 18 I narrated about the cable guy. And it's my favorite story in that book. It's that my favorite. Awesome. Did yeah. you uh, uh read the audio uh, book? Did you I did. read the oh man, I did. that's awesome. Okay. Yep. And okay. you know you, Learn you how tell, to lead to win. Story pretty easy. Try to write a story pretty hard. Now read what oh you gosh. wrote with, like you're reading it really hard. <laughs> yeah. For your Air Force guys, it's not learn how to read to win. It's learn how to lead <laughs> to win. <laughs> hey, what a great segue, repeat. So this is my next question, uh, Nasty. Do you, and, and uh, so I, I, I have a lot of personal experience with this, but do you know, I mean, uh, have you had the, uh, well, I don't see, I'm, I, I don't want to say this the wrong way. In naval aviation, there is a, uh, there is a, the way you're brought up, the way you think, the way you train, right? We have the OPNAVS 3710, which is about Three quarters of an inch thick, which is our operating rules, and then we have train the like top manual. Fly like a train, and then we have maybe a squadron or a wing SOP, which is three or four pages. Yep. Well, in the Air Force, uh, they have publications on top of publications. Uh, so, you 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 triggered this thought when you were just uh, talking about uh, something, uh, or w- something you said in in your last story tr- triggered this thought. So. Difference between naval aviation and and say Air Force flying, the uh, the theory, the the mentality, um, I I can put it into I can put it into Reader Digest words, but I kind of want to hear you your take on it. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I am I have learned through a long career, and this is a dead serious statement. I was a very tribal guy as a fighter pilot. If you weren't a fighter guy, you weren't nothing. Right. So light attack guys, medium attack guys, air force guys. Whoa. Podcast's over. It's right. <laughs> no, no, he, he, he's not going to say it, but I'm going to say it. If you weren't, a no. fi- if you're not a fighter pilot, you're not shit. Yeah. Well, so I learned, especially, <laughs> you know, how to look, everybody's doing a great job. So the way, here's the way I characterize it always. And the air force, and I'm not denigrating the way to do this. The way the Air Force Dash One is written, it is it is commonly referred to by uninformed people like me that that written down is what you can do. You're allowed to do these things, and if it's not written there, you can't do it. Right. The Navy NATOPS OPNAV thirty seven ten is what you can't do. Right. If it's not written there, you can do any. You can do anything. It's so restrictive. it's restrictive. It's, I mean, yeah. it's a permissive. It's a permissive manual. Not you. A you. It, if you deviate in any way uh, from anything, you just need to be able to explain why you did it. Yeah. If it makes sense, you're good. If it doesn't, well, you're well, probably I would not. Closer in in the Navy system, if it's not prohibited, you're good. Right. Yes. 
you could you can you can do it. If you didn't violate a you know a flight rule or any kind of regulation and it's not prohibited in the in the OPNAV thirty seven ten or or supporting documents, you're good. In the Air Force, you had to do what it has in the dash one. And and so there are different ways to approach flying. Um, and I, I think the um, I think the Navy way is a lot better because oh. you you knew you knew what you couldn't do and everything else was good to go. So, so I I can say from personal experience that you are one hundred percent correct. <laughs> I I went from being uh, you know a full up round naval aviator. Naval aviator, oh, grease, honed, kill a killing instrument to a handcuffed, um, <laughs> chastised. <laughs> and so here's the best part: we deploy to combat as an air, you know, under Air Force rules, and they waive everything. Oh, <laughs> and I said, okay, well, well isn't it's this ironic? You don't. <laughs> so, so we don't, we can't train because I fought them all the way. Why don't we train this way? Well, because we can't do that. As soon as you go to a contingency operation, they waive all these rules. And I, and I said to them, so this is safe because, you know, we don't train like this. So now you're telling guys it's okay to do this shit that they've never done. And uh, anyway, I, I take great exception to that. I am a, I'm a traditionalist, you know, as you know, and the Naval service is very high on tradition. And, uh, I think the way that, uh, the Naval aviators are trained is, is the way all aviators should be trained. And I fight this on a daily basis at yeah. the airline I work for as well, cause I'm in standards, I'm in flight standards yeah. and there's a lot of air force interpretation to some things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Enough, enough said on that. So think so- Thinking back to that, I, I talked earlier about something that I had a statement in corporate and a meet and a wave of leadership and that sort of thing. I'll tell this quick story, and then we'll start worrying, worrying about how we're going to wind this up and get out of here. Because one of the things we do, I fly long haul, halfway around the world in some cases, 12, 14, 16-hour flights, worst case. And one of our requirements is that we communicate as the captain to the rest of the crew. Here's the sleep schedule. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's what I expect from you to, you know, it, and you hit this in the book over and over and over again, communicate, 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 and set mm. your expectations, tell them what you expect, give guidance, remove obstacles, that sort of thing. But, uh, so the other, the other thing is, is there was a time when people would show up for a flight. For instance, I, I live in new England. I'm based in the middle of America. I could commute from, New England to the middle of America and then take off on a 14 hour flight. And there were times managers who would go, Oh, you can't do that. You, you know, you just violated uh, FARs. Well, no, actually I haven't, but okay. You're removed from the flight without pay. Okay. Well, let's see how it goes. So we have to communicate the sleep schedule among other things. So my email typically begins with here's the flight. Here's the sleep schedule. I want to set. And as the uh, pilot in command, I will expect each of you to show up with a properly uh, documented sleep log that's either notarized, bank certified, or signed by a managing director or above. These uh, notary expenses may be uh, expensed to your monthly expense report. <laughs> and also as the pilot in command, I will uh, uh, approve the sleep schedule at showtime. I may change it at showtime, and then once again, airborne, I may change it again because that's my authority. And, oh, you know, 
yada, yada. Here endeth the sarcasm. All right, guys, look, we've got a long flight. Let's take care of each other. If, you know, here's what I want to do. If that doesn't work for you when you get there, let me know, and we'll work it out the best way we can. Because, you know what, we're crossing the ocean together in a tube doing 500 miles an hour. And, oh, by the way, uh, if we aren't looking out for each other, no one else is going to. So I can tell you on more than one occasion I've shown up, I've had guys going, you know, so, so, Captain, I was uh, sitting in bed when I got your email the other night, and I started reading it, and I I stopped, and I went, Oh my God, honey, listen to this bullshit. Look at this. This asshole wants me to have a sleep schedule. And he wants me like to have it was a written by an attorney. He wants me to, oh my God. Oh, thank God. It's like, you know what? Lighten the mood, set the expectation, but then lighten the mood. Go, look, we're all in this together. And, and that's, I think that, um, that, that's, uh, why I say your book, nasty hits home on so many points. I failed my first aeromedical exam because of my right eye. My first unset in the training command was at the boat in the A4. Um, you know, it was, it was one setback after another here and there. I was, I was riding right along with you going, son of a bad word. I've right. been there. I've done that. Right. You know, I'll say for you, but, son of yeah. a bitch. Yeah. But the human connection, and, and I've tried to carry that forward into today and, and, People, I'm telling you, read this book. You're going to have so much fun with it. If, if you're 19 years old, you're going to get nuggets out of this that are going to carry forward and make you successful in life. If you're 30 years old and you're a middle manager working your way up, you're going to go, oh, here's how I can do this better. Right? And if you're, if you're a two-star admiral looking to go to four stars, you're going to go, ah, okay, I've got some I've, I've got some of these, I've got 89% of these are my same experiences. And here's what I can do to make it better. This is an amazing book. And I've had, I can't recall a time I've had more fun just sitting here bullshitting with a guy at the bar. (laughs) Right. And it has been like that nasty. And thank you for making it feel like that. Well, well, thanks you guys. This is, this is so cool. And I'm, I'm honored and humbled that you spent so much time with me, but you, you said something just now that is the tenor of the book is actually written as if we're trying to make it as if we are sitting at the bar telling stories. Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn here? Or what did you do there? Let me tell you a story. That is exactly the vision that we had. And I think in there, it says somewhere that in maybe the introduction, you know, we're sitting at lunch. Whoa. Oh, sorry. That's me. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Keep yeah. going, boss. I, I see that. That's the hook coming, you guys. So anyway. It, it, it isn't. Look, if you want to stay, I'll turn the music off. I swear to God, I can edit the music out. It, it's good. The, uh, okay. the, the the notion of the book, though, even though the political regret thing, you know, sitting over lunch, it's literally at the bar over a bourbon. Yeah. And it, but but I'm I'm so energized by how you guys have gotten the book because that's all of the messages the undertones the the stories they're all towards what we're talking about here and and it's so neat to hear that individual stories resonated with each of you that's the idea is it resonates and cause people to go oh yeah that yeah that you know hmm. and they write something down and and i i'm not anybody special i i 
fumbled my way through stuff, almost screwed up really a bunch of times, almost killed myself a bunch of times, you know, almost crashed national assets together. And, Glad that and, never happened to me. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, we have to be able to be vulnerable and be able to describe people how we got to where we are and the yes. whole and that's it. That's why the book. That's why the book's there. That's why I wrote it. Nasty, you are uh, you national are a asset. national asset. Thank yeah. you. And, and and here's the thing. You know, you 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 uh, you, you triggered a thought. Uh, when I read the book, I already said uh, so many of the stories that you told triggered stories of my own that made me think about that sort of thing. And what your what this story's what your book's going to do for um well anybody that reads it is going to do the same thing it did for me and repeat so thank you and that's awesome and thanks for coming on the show again man thank you uh, hey, hey wait i got one more question it, it, any well, i got a quick. question before your question fig well, any chance your bride will come wave to us <laughs> i think she's gone she's gone up to bed good for her she, she, <laughs> okay no. nogs I got. I wrote down here. No, I've been right. I've been taking notes all night and on everything. Uh, Nogs, Nogs. Did you do any flying on Nogs in the, uh, like in the Super Hornet or any any of that or did or no? I don't even know what a Nog is. Night vision, right. night vision, uh, oh, okay. night vision device. Oh, night optical. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Did yeah. you? Oh yeah. Okay. What is nuts? Uh, never did that. In a super hornet because uh you know what i didn't fly at night <laughs> yeah it's arriving <laughs> yeah daytime only but we full-blown uh night vision goggle quals and uh in tomcats facet that was a new world for me it's like yes oh my God. yes it was the bombcat right the d the bombcat so you did nogs the whole deal okay yep. awesome absolutely awesome yeah All right that was epic i and like oh my god i can see you know so yeah right yeah right and then and then when you didn't have the nogs and you were flying at night you're like what the hell are we doing yeah. here <laughs> what do you mean i can't do this on the tanker what do you mean i can't use this to land on the boat <laughs> that's it, it, uh, i'm putting them down i know I that's see. that's right ask it yeah all right well thank you nasty hey you're thank welcome you. thank welcome. you for your service thank you bride for her service and your kids for their service whether they they didn't choose it Nope. But, they, but they gave it so to them as well. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. This is awesome. I just love time. Thank you so much. Th- this time has been amazing. Again, for the Air Force, not learn how to read to win. It's for everybody else. Learn how to lead to win. This is a life-changing book, I promise. Our other sponsor, RobinsBirdBrainDesigns.com. Go to our website. So there I was, .us. We've got a glossary. We've got links, links to the video of this entire live stream. A whole lot of fun tonight. To every one of you who has a sailor, a soldier, an airman, a guardsman, a Marine on deployment, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you to all the military members for your sacrifice. And in the meantime, stay safe and check six. was crossing the pond and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse with all that stuff supposed to save your life.
we knew there was no way. Cause you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> like the song says, it's over. I know, I know, but it's his ship now, his command, he's in charge. He's a boss, head man, top dog, big cheese, a head honcho.